Drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620. News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here. And joining us online now, it's Rich Fields. And he has been the longtime announcer with the legendary Bob Barker and Drew Carey on the legendary show, The Price is Right. Good morning, Rich. Good morning, Kurt and Anthony. Come on down. There it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Come on down. <laughs> we can't do it just that's like that. That's always Rich. a crowd pleaser. I got to open with that, right? You've yeah, got to. Oh, one. absolutely. <laughs> Now, Rich, let's talk first a little bit about you. I know you got you have a, a book out, um, yeah. and uh, but let's talk about your history because I I know that you you always knew. I read that you always knew that you one day would be on the Price is Right. It's crazy, but it's it's true. As a as a little boy, I don't know how guys. I I really don't know how this popped into my head. But as a little boy, I always knew I'd be working with Bob Barker. On the Price is Right. I told everybody. I told grade school classmates. I told the nuns at St. Mary's Grade School in Avon, Ohio. I told high school friends. When I got into college, I told roommates. So every radio station up and down the dial that I worked at, I told everybody, someday I'm going to work with Bob Barker at the Price is Right. And lo and behold, I mean, that's exactly what happened starting back in 2004. So you you literally just kept saying that I'm I'm just reading now that you when you met Johnny Olson in 1978 mm-hmm. at a taping, mm-hmm. you asked him how you could have his job. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I talk I tell this story in the book. My dad and I we broke into CBS Television City. Literally, I mean, we snuck in a, a back gate <laughs> and, and walked past security guards and and literally right into Television City. And there was all the pricing games and. And, and all the prizes and everything for an upcoming taping of The Price is Right that was taping that day. And I was screwing around backstage with Dad. I'm flipping down the reveals, you know, where the models flip down and show you the, the prices. And I'm like, Dad, how much do you think this refrigerator is? And, and you know, I'd flip it down. Nope. You know, it's like that. And all of a sudden, from far down these massive hallways, I mean, huge hallways, you could drive two semi-tractor trailer trucks side by side through these hallways. It's so, it's so big. We hear some guy down at the end of the hall say, hey, who are you two? And I was like, oh, no, here we go. You know, yeah. we're going to get arrested or something. And this guy comes up to us, and he was a California Gaming Commission a gaming commission official who happened to be checking up on game shows at Television City that day. Oh, so it was like and a state inspector. Correct. A badge-carrying, you know, California <laughs> official, you know. And, and this guy's like, who are you? you? Neither of you have employee badges. And. I'm young. I'm 18 years old. And he says, and you don't have a, 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 a guest badge. What are you doing back here? And my dad, he always straddled a fine line between cop and criminal. So uh, he was a really good talker, man. Could talk his way out of anything. I mean, he, he literally talked us into CBS. I, I say we broke in, but a guard buzzed the gate. My dad just said, hey, I forgot my, my security badge. Can you buzz me through? And, and the guard buzzed the gate, and we, got, <laughs> we walked right in. Just look like so you anyway, know where this, you're going. Yeah, so this gaming official wasn't having any part of it. My dad was like, oh, don't worry about him. He's with me. I'm just showing him around. The guy's like, well, who are you? I mean, one of the first times I ever heard anybody call my dad's bluff, and and the jig was up. So all of a sudden, he gets on his walkie-talkie, and he says, I need a price producer backstage right now. And this guy was, like, fuming. And here comes this Price is Right producer lady, and he says, look, you got to change out all these prizes. you got to postpone this show. These people know all the prices. There's no way we can, you know let the show run the way it's set up. 
because they could possibly be trying to help somebody. And the price producer was like, we can't, we can't change out the prices. We're, Barker's ready to go, walk out on stage. We're like three minutes from going on. And he says, well, you need to do something with these two people because we can't have them, you know, somebody's got to watch them. We can't have them signaling anybody or walkie-talkie in anybody. And so she said, well, why don't they just sit on the side of the stage with us where we can keep an eye on them, you know, kind of <laughs> sort of backstage, like, so yeah. You wind up with VIP seats. Yes. And so... During Johnny Olson's warm-up, he gets done telling everybody what you can do and what you can't do when you get on stage with Bob. You know, don't hug him. Don't, don't you know, men don't kiss him. You know, things like that. And, and he gets done, and he says, are there any questions out there in the audience? And I raised my hand frantically. And I said, yeah, Johnny, I got a question for you. How do I get your job? <laughs> and, and he says, oh, you think you can do my job? Come on down here. And, and it was kind of cool because Johnny Olson called me on down. He says, come on down here. And I, I run up on stage, and Johnny hands me the microphone. He says, let's hear what you got, kid. Use my name. Call me down to contestant's row. So, again, I'm 18 years old, have never done anything, never have, wasn't on the radio yet, nothing. But I took the microphone, and I said, Johnny Olson, come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. And the crowd went wild. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, it was crazy, man. And, and immediately I was hooked. I needed that adrenaline rush right after that. Once that crowd went ballistic like that, I was like, man, I, I need to have a job like this the rest of my life. I'm hooked. And so how and, did it then happen? That jo Was Johnny Olsen nearing retirement? Or how many years <laughs> go by before you become the oh, next? Uh... A, a long 25. Oh, a long time. I'm on my quest to get the prices right, and Johnny passes away, but I still have no legacy behind me. I have no broadcasting, really no good broadcasting credentials behind me. No way they're going to even consider me. You know, I was just too young still when, when, when Johnny passed away, I thought. And um, Rod Roddy ended up getting a job, and lo and behold, uh, Rod has the job for some 15, 17 years. He passes away. Boom, finally I get a chance. And it was then, I'm, I just was reading your background, cause, because you built quite the resume in broadcast. Uh, not only uh, you're a meteorologist uh, on TV, mm -hmm. but you, you have a huge long list of uh, radio broadcasting experience, too. Yeah, you know, you guys, do you remember the WKRP in Oh, Cincinnati? yeah, I love that show. Oh, sure. Do you remember the, the jingle, the opening song? Baby, talks about, did you ever yeah. wonder? Right, right. Town to town, up and down the dial. Yeah. Remember those words? Yep. Well, as a, as a kid, I used to think that was romantic. I was like, oh, that's so cool. That's what I want to do. I want to work at a radio station, you know, move on to a bigger one, a bigger market, keep moving across the country and get out to Los Angeles and be heard and seen in auditions, you know, be, yeah, be recognized right. somehow as a radio personality out there. Well, there's 120 FM signals out there and like another 150 AM signals out there. So being heard is uh, unless you're on KISS or one of the big stations, you're not being heard, you know? Yep, yep. So uh, after 10 years in radio out in Los Angeles, it just wasn't working out for me and getting into game shows. So I heard about Pat Sajak being plucked off of KNBC as a weatherman out there in L.A. to, to do Wheel of Fortune. Uh -huh. I heard about David Letterman being a weatherman and, and, and getting into TV. I heard about all these TV people, uh, uh, excuse me, news TV people making this jump into entertainment and i said okay this is what i'm going to do i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to go get my meteorology degree i'm going to come back to los angeles as a television weatherman that way i'm seen and not just heard uh -huh. and maybe auditions will come for me a little easier and 
Ding, 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 ding. What did he win, Johnny? <laughs> well, sure, I mean, it, and it you worked, worked out. for the CBS affiliate, so you were right there at the right time. Right. Uh, right. And, and so, now, did you have experience prior to The Price is Right? As far as game shows? Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> Pardon me. I did my very first game show pilot uh, way back in 1980, geez, I want to say like four-ish, and... Um, I was literally homeless in Hollywood. I'd gotten fired from a radio station outside of Denver, and I said, "Screw it! You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pack up my little orange pinto." If there was any, if there was ever a time I was just gonna go to Los Angeles and try to make this happen, now's the time. And so I did, and and I drove out there, and I was literally homeless in in Hollywood for quite some time, and um, I was dogging to get any kind of auditions I could, and I, I I happened to read in the back of the Hollywood Reporter of a production company looking for a an announcer. For for a uh, pilot, a game show pilot. And uh, I submitted for it. I got it. I showed up the day of the shoot, and lo and behold, the game show host was Alan Hale Jr. Okay. Password. Skipper. Yeah. Skipper. From oh, Skipper, Skipper yes. Alan Hale from Skipper. <laughs> the Skipper, too. <laughs> and uh, they brought him over to me, you know, after the after he came in the door and everybody made such a fuss about him, they brought him over to where I was sitting, and they were, they were like, Alan, this is your announcer, Rich Fields. And I said, hi, Mr. Hale, pleasure to meet you. And he says, first of all, call me Alan, little buddy. Yeah. And I, was like, <laughs> little buddy. I was like, little buddy, in my head, I was like, oh, my God, he just replaced Gilligan with me. I was going to say, did <laughs> you he know, refer to little buddy, and he really did. <laughs> He said it all the time. It, 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 the pilot never went anywhere, but to make a long story short, Alan and I, we, we stayed friends. We'd golf together at the little golf course in the valley, and, and I was crushed. I, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I heard him call somebody else little buddy. It, I really, I, I got hurt because I'd never heard him. I thought, he was, I, thought I was the new <laughs> little buddy. And we were getting our golf clubs out of our car in the parking lot one day, and a man and his kids walked up, and they said, you know, oh, Mr. Hale, you know, can we have a picture? And he said, sure, little buddy. And I literally, I turned around. I was like, what the? I thought I was the little buddy. I did. I thought I was the little buddy. Well, as it turns out, that was a a regular line Alan used. Matter of fact, there's an old 1963 episode of uh, the Andy Griffith show where Alan Hale Jr. plays a, uh, a character Jeff Pruitt who comes down from the hills to find himself a wife in Mayberry and and he picks up Barney Fife and he says, Hey little buddy, how you doing? So <laughs> it was a line that Alan used his whole life and it worked out very well for him. It was a very charming line. Now Rich, y- your book is called Trust Your Inner GPS. I assume is that because of the fact that your inner GPS said since you were a kid, I'm going to be on the prices right with Bob Barker? Yes. And once I learned to trust trust that Inner GPS, I call it, your intuition. Everybody has it. It talks to you constantly all day long, but do, but do we ever listen to it, really? 99% of us don't. And it's always telling you the right thing to do. And if you, can, if you can stop and listen to your intuition, it will guide you in every moment of your life. And once I learned that as a, as a small boy, I just started doing everything in my life by listening to that little voice inside my head. And... Uh, every course I took, every job I accepted was with one goal in mind my entire life. Is this going to get me to stage 33 at Television City on stage with Bob Barker at The Price is Right? If the answer was no, I didn't take the job or I didn't take the position or I didn't go that way. And and so every decision I made was consciously, is this going to get me to The Price is Right? 
it's and, an, um, it's an incredible story. I've got to tell you though, Rich, I hear I hear that little voice inside my head a lot of times, but I've found a medication for it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to be careful. <laughs> you know, you got to make sure that little voice is a good voice. But, well, uh, we got a call for you, so uh, let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Uh, a couple days ago, I was watching an old episode of Price Is Right, and uh, man, Bob Barker was a ladies' man. Uh, when did they? Start telling the guests to start uh, smooching them and hugging them. Well, when did that happen? Um, I don't know if I don't know if there was ever a time where he said start doing this. I mean, people would get so excited they would come up and they would kiss him. And and once people started watching on the air how gracious he was in turning his cheek so a woman could kiss him, it just started to snowball from there to the point of you know huge Samoan women picking him up and, and, and pile driving him into the stage. You know, like. He was, <laughs> So uh, it's not anything that he asked for, that's for sure. It's something that just kind of morphed, you know. Yeah. Now, uh, the love of Bob just kind of spilled out. Now, in the book, Trust Your Inner GPS, obviously there's a lot of stories about Bob Barker. Can you give us a couple stories? Because, of course, Bob just passed away, as we all know, at 99 yeah. years old, and he was such a legend and was probably the best. I mean, there's a lot of great talk show hosts, but he certainly maybe is number one. Give us a couple of your best Bob Barker stories. Well, there's there, honestly, there's so many. I mean, uh, I, I talk in the book about uh, Christine, my wife, and I. We got married in 2004, and we, in, we invited the entire cast and crew of The uh, Price is Right to come to our home uh, in Beverly Hills for a reception. Uh, and uh, I remember talking with one of the producers who was real close to Bob Barker, and she said, are, are, you, invite, are you inviting Barker? And that's how they refer to him there, by the way. I, the first time I heard somebody say Barker, I thought that was so... Um, uh, kind of sounds a little edgy, because it sounds yeah. Like, yeah, like a carnival yeah. barker. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and, but once I started working there, I realized, oh, everybody truncates everything. It's not the price is right, it's price. It's not Bob Barker, it's Barker. It's, it's not even Rich Fields, it's Fields. You know what I mean? Everybody, everybody shortens everything there, so it's, there's no... You know, there's no disrespect, really. It's just a quicker way to speak in TV language. But um, we invited everybody to the show, and the producer came into my dressing room one day and said, hey, uh, are you inviting Barker? I said, yeah. And she said, well, look, you know, don't be disappointed. I know you're a huge fan, and, but don't be disappointed if he doesn't come. Bob never comes to these kinds of things, especially if they're somehow related to somebody that works on the show. He certainly tries to stay away and lets everybody have their fun. Well, the next day, after sending out these invitations in the mail, I put a little knock on my dressing room door. I said, come on in. And it was Mr. Barker. And he said, Rich? I said, yeah, hi, Bob. He said, look, I, I want you to know, barring any unforeseen circumstances, I would be very happy to accept your invitation to your wedding soiree. And I said, oh, fantastic, Bob. You'll love it, man. You'll have a great time. Well, lo and behold, he shows up at our house, and we had a live band and catered food and everything else, and bartender drinks and everything and he stayed the whole night i mean the band was done we were saying goodbye to people and here's mr barker i mean he he loved it he really did he loved meeting the 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 wives and husbands of people that he works with every day on the set he loved sitting and talking with folks because you know on, on the stage you don't get to talk to bob <clears throat> you know he's in his dressing room he's executive producer he's dealing with budgetary issues and, and all kinds of stuff, uh, human resource issues. And, and, and then they say, Bob, five minutes, you know, you're on stage. And so he walks out all gussied up with, you know, suit and tie. And, 
and then the doors open and he's doing a show. So if you work there, you really don't get a chance to have any meaningful conversation with him. You might be able to say good morning, to Mr. Barker, or something like that. But when he said when he stayed at our party and just talked to everybody, it was fantastic. And and then it was it was just a few days before Christmas uh, that we had this party, and um, there was mistletoe hanging from the house. Actually, I think I took it off and I held it up, and and somebody was like, Bob, you know, kiss. Kiss Christine under the mistletoe, and there's some fantastic <laughs> photos in the book of Mr. Barker uh, kissing my wife under the mistletoe at our at our wedding party. I mean, who gets that? Who who gets wow. a picture like that? Oh you know, just, yeah. Now what was what was the last Bar- Bar- Bob Barker show like when Bob was you know, announced and this was his last show? What was that like? Yeah, um, it was a, it was a weird day for everybody because those of us that worked there, all of us were worrying about our jobs. Number one because we had no idea what was going to happen with the show. We were pretty sure that Fremantle Media and CBS was going to keep the show, but we had no idea who was going to host it, how it was going to morph, and if it would ever stay on the air without Bob Barker. So it was a weird day for folks working there. But, you know, as I watched Bob through the entire day and through the entire show, man, he held it together really well. I mean, you couldn't tell that inside maybe he was a little uh, sad about things coming to an end, but... After the show was over, and before we walked him across the street to a huge retirement party, Bob held a small press conference right there on stage 33 with about 250 press uh, cameras and reporters from all over the world. I swear to God, China, South Korea, everybody came. There, there were people there from countries I'd never heard of. And um, it was during that press conference when somebody said, Bob, you know, um, they asked him something about the early days and his wife. And he started to talk about Dorothy Joe. And all of a sudden, the, the arm holding his microphone went down to his side, and he, he kind of dropped his head. And then, he, and then he took his thumb of his right hand, and he pushed it into his bottom lip, trying to keep himself from crying, I'm sure. But, you know, I, I was fairly close to him, and I could see his eyes were welling up. And, but he got it together, and he went on. But that was the only time that I ever saw Bob show any emotion on that, on that last show that day. I mean, it was a big turning point for him. 50 years on TV every day, and now you're done? I mean, it was an emotional day for him. Oh, yeah, and then the crowd went crazy when he came back a few years later, right, when they had Bob back and he introduced Drew Carey and did some stuff. I watched that, and the crowd just went nuts. Oh, yeah, I mean, the audience had no idea what we were about to do. You know, uh, after Mr. Parker left, I stayed on uh, with Drew Carey another three years to help him transition into things, and and that first year of Drew, we had Bob on for uh, a, a showcase. And the sh- part of the showcase was Bob's book, uh, Priceless Memories. And I, I remember Drew saying, okay, here's showcase number one. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, to kick off showcase number one, please welcome, you know, the, the former host of The Price is Right, Bob Barker. And the doors <laughs> opened and the crowd just went berserk. I watched that. It, re- it was really something. So it was quite a treat for those folks. You know, you you think, oh, well, I'm going to go to The Price is Right. No, it's not a Bob show, but, you know, we're going to get to go to The Price is Right and actually be there. That'd be cool. And then all of a sudden, Bob is there. They flipped out. That's pretty cool. It really is. And I like the way that you take your book and you take this experience with The Price is Right, but it really is a motivational uh, journey. You, you kind of outline, hey, you know, you can do it. Stay focused. Exactly, and that's really why I wrote the book. You know, I wrapped it inside of The Price is Right, but I wanted folks to really understand the process that uh, you can manifest things in your life. It's a real thing. You hear these kooky people on TV talk about, oh, you can manifest this. 
uh, it's honest to God true. If you can project yourself to the final carrot, the thing you want in life, and you can live your life every day thinking that's what I am, that's what I do, even though you're not, you're on the radio in Vermont, but you have a, you have this big goal. Uh, you just project yourself in your head to to being that person, and do one thing every day that's going to get you to that ultimate goal in life. Make one phone call, send out one email, send out one digital tape, whatever you need to do. Do one thing every day that's going to get you to that ultimate goal in life. And I swear to God, it happens. I've done it. I've done it a half a dozen times in my life. The Price is Right is just the biggest thing that I ever got and did by trusting my intuition. So that's why I wanted to write Rich, about it. Rich, we are essentially out of time, but just one more quick that's question. Right. What was Drew Carey? How do you compare Drew Carey to Bob Barker? And how did he break his arm on the first day on the set, if that's if, if that's what happened? Um, yeah, Drew Carey, uh, very, very generous. Bob and, Bob and Drew are very generous guys, as you can well imagine. I mean, they make a lot of money, but they're generous in different ways. Where Mr. Barker gives away his money at a, a million dollars at a time as, as grants to... Uh, help animals or to colleges to open new wings, new law, new law wings for uh, uh, lawyers that will deal with animal rights. Drew, on the other hand, is more generous in the fact that, like the guy on the street, generosity. Um, this is true. Uh, I, I, I know Drew very well. We hung out a lot, a lot of time. Uh, when Drew gets up in the morning and leaves his house, he goes to his safe and he gets out five thousand dollars in one hundred dollar bills and he puts them in his right front pocket. God, I hope nobody goes in Jackson now because I'm saying that. But anyway, <laughs> he, he, his mission every day is to get rid of that five grand. Wow. So every person he meets throughout the day, and I don't mean people on the set, nobody that works there. Right. But anytime, like if he and I walk across the street to Farmer's Market or go have lunch someplace, it, people, oh, my God, Drew Carey, you know, and, and if 10 people walk up, there'll be $1,000, there'll be $100 as he wow. shakes hands. He don't just peel it off. He, he hides it in his hand like, you know, the golfer would at the country club. And when he shakes your hand, there's a $100 bill left in your hand. And honest to God, guys, this is the truth. He is depressed, depressed after the day is over and he has any money left in his pocket. He's absolutely wow. sick to his stomach that he didn't get it done. Wants to spread the, wants to spread the joy. That's amazing. Yes. And That's he broke great. his arm that first day? Oh, he broke his arm. Well, Drew, screwing around. You know, he's never seen the prices right. He admits it. Uh, all over the internet, you know, he never watched the show, and he's just being a buffoon like he usually does. And and the turntable, you know, the turntable up on the stage that that, that rotates around and will reveal a game. Oh, well, yeah. the turntable, the turntable is rotating around, and and he was taking his hand and shoving it in the in the opening, like, look at me, look at me. I, I could almost get it stuck there. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that literally was an industrial accident. <laughs> I'll tell you what, everybody, I encourage you because this is just the tip yeah. of the iceberg in terms of all the stories in the book. We could have done this for two hours, I oh, think. Easily. But uh, <laughs> trust your Thanks, inner guys. GPS. Get it on Amazon. It sounds great. Yeah. I can't wait to get it myself. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate no it. Thanks, thanks, Rich. Rich uh, and enjoy the, Come on uh, down. Yeah. Come on down. <laughs> Thank you very much, Rich. Oh, what a great conversation. All right, we'll be back. We're going to check 